Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. And this week I'm talking to Joe Raya, who's Chief Commercial Officer of the ABAX Exchange. And Joe, maybe you could do what I always ask people to do, which is just to give us a sense of how, how have you arrived at this point in time where I have managed to lure you in to the Decarb Connect podcast? Thanks. Thanks for having us first, Alex. Uh, I'm not so sure how much time you have, but I certainly can, uh, can go into my long career, uh, which got me here, which really started out in the hydrocarbon markets. I'm uh, I was a former merchant marine officer. I sailed on oil tankers, so certainly atypical to somebody that's involved in uh, environmental markets. But I did sail in the in, in the energy markets, in the oil markets for uh, for about nine years, um, and uh, then got involved in energy trading uh, when I came ashore, uh, which led me to the NYMEX. Um, so I was hired by uh, Vince Viola, who was the chairman at the time back in late '01, right after Enron uh, defaulted and right after 9/11. Uh, to come into the NYMEX to build a platform for clearing over-the-counter energy products, which the exchange had no connectivity to. We, you know, the exchange for over 100 years was uh, primarily three products in energy, two products in metals. And so there was all these derivatives that were trading out in the marketplace. And after Enron defaulted, uh, counterparty credit risk was a big issue in the marketplace for those over-the-counter derivatives. And uh, we and the customers of the exchange were looking for a better way to use the risk management um, systems that that the exchange has uh, to for these over-the-counter products. So I came in, we we built uh, and went worked with the regulatory regime at the CFTC to build um, uh, to build this platform, which turned into Clearport. Clearport um, arguably uh, was one of the big reasons why the CME merged with the NYMEX uh, in 2007. And, and it was really focused around how quickly we can launch products because we owned our own clearinghouse. So the marketplace was telling us, okay, you have, we started out with 15 products and most of them were in natural gas and most of them were natural gas basis contracts in the US, uh, which were financially settled. But um, we found that when we started rolling out these products, these 15 products, customers came to us and said, you know, there's about another 20 or 30 or hundred products that you need to also list that trade as you know, compatible products to those basis products to Henry Hub and other products, even in the energy and oil markets. And so by the time I left the NYMEX in 2011 to go over to Goldman Sachs, I had launched almost 2000 products and uh, individual products. And yeah, and, and that that kind of speaks to what we're doing here at Abex with our clearinghouse. But it's also um, it also speaks to the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit that we had at the NYMEX, um, you know, and in the market and connectivity, most importantly, with the customers in all across all of the commodity markets, um, not only in energy but also in metals, to to launch uh, this this platform, it was extremely successful. Um, it arguably, I think, when I left, was generating about three hundred million dollars a year in, in very high margin revenue for the NYMEX. Uh, but most importantly, it was it was it was bringing out a new platform for better risk mitigation across the entire commodity landscape. And so I, I went to Goldman Sachs. I was uh, uh, in charge of their clearing for uh, for energy and metals products in futures markets on the sales side globally for them. Uh, I was there for seven years. We brought in a lot of new customers on the commercial energy and metal space to Goldman. Uh, and uh, and but the problem with the banks were uh, was was basically Basel III. And as Basel III really started to impact uh, financial firms like Goldman Sachs, like the other bank clearing firms, the um, the capital charges that we needed to hold against futures clearing got so onerous and so punitive that we started to basically decouple from a lot of these commercial firms that were clearing with us. And <clears throat> excuse me, I left in 20, uh, 2018. I went to a small clearing firm, RJ O'Brien, for 
for a year and a half, which they thought were, wanted to get involved in energy markets, but then decided not to. Uh, and then I recoupled with a couple of my friends, both from Goldman and uh, and the NYMEX here at ABAX. So Dan McElduff, our president, he was really my partner in crime when we built Clearport back in and launched it back in 02. Uh, and then John Noring, who was running uh, natural gas trading at Goldman Sachs, uh, was one of our founders here at ABAX. Uh, and also Josh Crum, who ran metals uh, research for Goldman in London. So had a lot of connection points with um, the founders of ABAX. Uh, it was a very compelling project, certainly a startup. And, and, and you know, when you're going up against the incumbents like CME, like ICE, you know, certainly I competed with ICE 24-7 for, for the better part of 12 years. Uh, and I know the NYMEX now CME probably equally as as, as, as intimately as I do the ICE. And, um, and so I, I felt that, you know, looking at how the exchanges developed into new markets like environmental markets, um, you know, we launched the green exchange at the NYMEX back in 2007. Uh, which the CME decided not to pursue anymore, uh, which I think was a, a big mistake. But uh, when you look at the interaction between exchanges, just like we did when we launched Clearport, and the, the end users in the marketplace, the commodity trading firms, whether it's energy, metals, carbon markets, whatever, um, the way you develop new products, the way we launched 2000 products at the NYMEX over those years was because we had direct connectivity with the end users in the marketplace, the trading firms, the bank FCMs, the brokers, they were all very important to the ecosystem of, of commodity futures uh, clearing. And so ABAX was taking that same direct approach. And I felt it was really an opportunity to certainly, you know, risky joining a startup, but we were launching a full stack clearing house and exchange. And that um, that gives us, like, a, like I said earlier, launching those products, you can't do that if you're outsourcing clearing. And so going to a, uh, uh, an entity like ABAX that was launching a new clearinghouse, a new exchange based in um, based in Singapore under the MAS is really an important part of why I came over here. Okay, and then in this kind of mad Venn diagram of people that I end up in touch with, you you kind of came into my field of vision because obviously we at Decal Connect look at these kind of core foundation industries and how they manufacture key materials and your clients are trading many of those materials or looking at ways to to trade and I know it's LNG in particular that we are going to talk a little bit about do you want to just set the scene around the kind of the carbon neutral offsetting activity that yeah the first the first product you know obviously any new exchange or clearinghouse has to have any has to have products and certainly we didn't want to be uh, an exchange that was launching look-alike products to other ex existing products um, from our one of our founders, John Noring, who again was involved in the natural gas markets, um, as as when you look at LNG and how LNG was developing from mostly a term contract structure to now um, almost a fifty percent spot market, that has changed the um, the access in the marketplace to spot cargos. Right, spot cargos never existed before. They would generally every you know a firm would start production in say. Um, Indonesia or Malaysia, and then would, uh, you know, contract with, say, Japanese uh, utility to run that LNG almost in the pipeline, but on ships for, say, 20 years. And, and, that, and that LNG was priced against crude oil. It was priced against uh, Brent crude oil. It was priced against things that were totally uncorrelated to the LNG marketplace. So, um, uh, so it was really important to look at what was the issue in the marketplace. So it was two things. It was really the, 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 the increase in um, 
uh, in spot markets and uh, cargos, and also the increase in uh, the need for hedging uh, with a better pricing instrument, right? And so, um, so we looked at and, into, and, and really got connected with the, all the trading firms in the marketplace. We put over 100 NDAs in place with trading firms to talk about the specifics around cargos and what was needed and what was the better price um, reference point. Uh, not a financial instrument either, a physically settled instrument. And so we, we developed two uh, LNG futures contracts, global futures contracts, one for delivery in North Asia Pacific, the second one for delivery FOB in the US Gulf. And, uh, and, the, and the marketplace vetted those and, and gave us a lot of input on the terms and the conditions. So that was started in the middle of 2018. As we started going into probably a year plus ago, we, uh, we started getting a lot of feedback from firms saying, hey, you know, you're, we like your LNG contracts, but we're starting to really focus on carbon offsets and carbon neutrality. And can you find a way to associate carbon offsets with your LNG uh, contracts, futures contracts? And so, you know, we really started that, that, that direct interaction with the marketplace once again to see what um, is possibly the best way to do that. We set a, uh, in motion a carbon neutral working group. Uh, that we now have, um, we've had four meetings on and uh, we've had uh, uh, 25, 30 firms in each meeting. So, you know, all the who's who in, in the LNG trading and in the, in the carbon uh, marketplace. And so, you know, not that we're going to be coming to a definitive solution, but we think that we're exchanging ideas as far as how is the best way to associate carbon offsets to, um, to that LNG futures contract. And we've, we've looked at a lot of different ways. We looked at you know, uh, directly embedding those future, those those carbon offsets in the futures contracts. We didn't think that was a wise way because you might you might inhibit the liquidity growth of the LNG futures contract. We looked at um, you know allowing the firms to do them themselves and then associate um, as a as a bundled contract with LNG. But I think the most important part is we wanted to be the kind of the scorekeeper in this whole thing, not the referee. And we didn't want to force firms to be the you know say well, this is the way you have to do it. And I think that's the way we succeeded at the NYMEX back in the day. And I think that's the way we're going to succeed here uh, in, the, in the carbon offset markets for LNG. Clearly, there's no leader out there. The marketplace is still you know, searching for leadership, standardization, all the things that make you know, regulated futures markets um, the success that they are. And for right now, there really is no leader in, in that carbon offset, that carbon neutral um, uh, for any products, let alone LNG. And so we started there, but we know that there's, there's uh, applications across all assets of, of the commodity markets. And are there other assets that you kind of got your eye on that sort of feel like they're on a short list or are you kind of staying focused on those LNG contracts for now? No, I think, you know, the good thing is, again, going back to my earlier comments about um, how many products we launched at the NYMEX, having, having and owning our own clearinghouse certainly is time consuming, costly, uh, it's not easy. And we're going up against some pretty powerful incumbents. But knowing how nimble we are, we will be able to launch um, products uh, on our own timeline, not on somebody else's timeline. Uh, and we can obviously keep the cost down. And we, can, and we can be, you know, directly as we did back in the day, we can be directly connected with customers to get their feedback on what is the best, you know, next products to launch. Clearly, our leadership at ABAX is, uh, has, has um, historical uh, ties to the metals markets, both precious and base metals. One of our, uh, one of our founders is Josh Crum, uh, was the head of metals research for Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, Richard, uh, excuse me, Robert Friedland, one of our main investors, our original investors in ABAX, 
owns Ivanhoe Mines. So there's there's a, definitely a lot of, as you see um, in transition energies with battery metals being talked about so much, um, there's still really no physical futures in an ability to, to, to hedge risk in the physical battery metals futures markets. So we see that that is an opportunity for us. But I would say even in energy alone, you know, there are firms that we're talking to that say, hey, we, we get it. We like your LNG futures contract. We need offsets to Permian Basin crude oil, to heating oil, to gasoline, to naphtha, to think all the things that are all these firms, not only the producers of it, but the end users in the manufacturing side are going to need some type of offset to, to, the, to any of the components of the products that they're making. Do you get much of a sense from the, the traders that you're dealing with? Like, are they interested in the actual carbon neutral fuel, like where the emissions are no longer a part of the process? Or is it just what's in front of them at the moment and therefore we're focused on those uh, offsets? From a you know, responsibility factor, they're probably interested in the quality of the offsets, the, the type of projects. And, it's, and clearly firms are going to be measured on that. Um, you know, we know from our discussions with some of the very large investment banks, uh, in, in commodities and also environmental markets now are very focused on scoring the corporations and all the companies that they lend to. And they're looking before they even go into a meeting, they'll, they'll do a pre-score on the firm that they're going to meet with to say, okay, this firm has a, you know, this type of program in place for social governance, for environmental offsets, for, you know, all the aspects of ESG. Uh, and then when they do uh, do a lending program with a firm, they're going to base you know do reviews very very uh, you know quarterly or even even more closely to see where that firm stands on their commitment to their ESG standards. And if they don't meet those standards, they have covenances in their contracts now that will raise their interest rates and call, you know which will cause a higher cost to them if they don't meet that. So the, clearly, there's going to be uh, a cost to non-compliance. Clearly, there's, there's going to be more focus on compliance, but I think we need good measurement and uh, verification tools um, to make sure that the standards that are in place for all these firms are somewhat, you know, are standardized so, so that they can, you can say, okay, I meet this criteria here. You know, um, this is a global standard. You know, don't, you know, we, you know, we can hang our, you know, put our hand on heart and say, we invested in this carbon offset project that's you know, a nature-based project, we know it's verified. Those are the things that are going to be, um, I think you're gonna see narrow in scope as, as the market develops. Because clearly right now, there's no leader in the space. And we think that from what we're developing here at AVEX, we can be uh, the leader in this marketplace, both from a product perspective, but also from a technology perspective. We haven't talked about technology and that's a big part of this. And what we've been developing here uh, from a auth authentication tools and verification tools, and also the use of, uh, of distributed ledger technology. I don't like to use the word blockchain. That seems to be a cure-all for everything, but distributed ledger technology for better, more efficient um, trading, margin um, settlements of, of, of contracts. That's some of the things that we're developing here that we know will be the game changer in the, in the, uh, in the marketplace. Is the idea that, that that technology could itself start to track the origin of the offset and the, itself? Is that what you're saying? So when you look at the current... Um, mechanisms for uh, engaging with uh, with registries. So clearly right now there's more than 70 or maybe even 75 uh, different registries out there and of varying quality projects. Um, you know, again, if, if a corporation, um, say a huge multinational corporation is, has a manufacturing plant in say Malaysia for cell phones and they wanna you know, make sure that their production is 
is uh, their footprint is carbon is carbon offset. Um, you know, they're going to want to go to a registry, and, and that registry is going to have verifiable projects. A, they can't be double counted. B, they can, once they're retired, they're not going to be used again. And all of that that daisy chain of of from from contract to retirement is again monitored along the way. And that's right now is a very difficult project. A, the connectivity to the to the registries is difficult from a from a uh, you know from a technology perspective. The retirement procedures are very onerous and time-consuming. So there is really a an opportunity to to apply better technology to that. And then when you ask when you add clearing and futures clearing to that, you, know, you also have this um, you know the the risk involved in counterparty risk, which futures markets generally um, not eliminate, but also but help reduce it quite a bit. But also the, the margin payment. So if you if you contract with a futures uh, contract and you need to flow margin back and forth between your clearing firm and your customer back to the exchange, distributed ledger can do that on a on a shorter settlement procedure or time frame versus the way it's done now, which is T plus one or T plus two. So there are uh, there are a lot of applications in in the carbon markets and the offset markets that better technology, distributed ledger technology can can be applied to to make it a much more efficient marketplace. There's obviously a, a growing appetite for discussions and products around carbon neutrality with the traders you're talking to. Uh, I suppose kind of an obvious question is, do you think that is that rooted in the new administration in the U US or is this always, has it been gaining momentum anyway in the last few years? Tell, tell us a bit about like, what's, what's your lens on what is driving that really? Yeah, clearly it's, it's I think it's even, it, it would be developing outside of uh, outside of any new administration clearly it's it's accelerated over the past few months but but I think that acceleration was happening anyway um, when you look at historical carbon markets even when we launched the green exchange at the NYMEX back in 07 you know we were focusing on um, mostly on uh, nox, uh, nitrous oxide and so2 emissions um, for trading which was allowing that marketplace to reduce the exposure to nox and sox in the, uh, you know in the environment um, clearly, carbon wasn't even kind of contemplated back then, uh, but the European markets a few years later started to really uh, take hold. They had issues over time. There was, you know, obviously, you know, people, people were um, trying to control the marketplace. Prices went up, prices went down, people went, firms went, went out of business. But I think the European markets now, European markets now uh, from an EUA perspective, uh, the, uh, they've done a good job of now organizing that marketplace. It's a mandatory marketplace. So it's, you know, obviously uh, the EU is, 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 is uh, overseeing that. Um, when you look at the U.S. marketplace, totally voluntary. Uh, so I, th I think you, the, the global marketplace is, seems to want to go that route versus the mandatory marketplace in Europe. The, the U.S. marketplace for you know, for better or worse, has done very well. Um, there are many states now that that are participating in um, in uh, carbon offsets, uh, you know, re uh, renewable energy credit em uh, auctions and and uh, and emissions. And, and there's a there's a very vibrant vibrant marketplace in the U.S. for renewable energy credits for carbon offsets. And so I think um, you know, is there a hybrid approach? Is it partially you know mandatory and somewhat voluntary? I don't know. We'll see. But, but I think that that's where there's a little bit of a lack of leadership globally and trying to find a global standard for, uh, for carbon, carbon offsets, because clearly carbon neutrality, net zero, um, all the things that we talk about and hear about now on a daily basis, um, and only in the past year to two years max, has really become a focal point 
in, in, in the marketplace and in commodity markets for sure, in any energy markets without a doubt. I mean, just today, you know, Oman and Shell agree to another carbon neutral LNG delivery. So when you start seeing, you know, national oil companies, national energy companies involved in this now, clearly it's a, it's a, it's a front burner item and it's not going away. And so I think the, the sooner that we get to a better standardized uh, marketplace for this, I think it, it'll, it'll grow even more rapidly because clearly LNG, when you go back to LNG, the amount of LNG growth for a transition energy is not going away. I mean, even the EU said several weeks ago that the marketplace can't get to net zero without LNG and without natural gas. So it's going to be there. There is certainly a component of more responsible natural gas. And I think uh, flaring and methane emissions will be something that will come under control and certainly be priced into the cost of producing natural gas. But the marketplace is, the, the globe is not getting to net zero without, without natural gas. When we were having the prep talk for, for doing this recording, you described LNG or green LNG as a, I think you used the phrase a bridge hydrocarbon, which I hadn't heard before. But I guess that's what you're saying there, right? Is that for, for many, for many, yeah, this is going to be an essential fuel, an essential way of making those early steps. For industrials looking at this who are busy being told to just get on with decarbonizing everything that I don't know it sort of feels like some interesting messages though that certain things can continue as a bridge activity some things must be decarbonized now. From a personal perspective I think you know it's you know I mean you look at it in a, in a realistic way I try to be realistic but I think the way I look at everything um, it, it's it'll be increasingly difficult to get to net zero, you're just not going to stop producing hydrocarbons. Cars, the amount of cars on the road today, um, we, did a, we did a study when I was at Goldman Sachs, um, probably in 2017, um, I had a customer who ran um, the largest group of convenience stores in the United States, um, this, they call them C-stores. And um, he was trading uh, futures with us, clearing them with us. And he wanted to talk to our auto analyst at Goldman Sachs about, um, Capital, capital uh, infrastructure needs and, and potential spending for putting charging stations at their C stores. And so the auto um, analyst um, went through, you know, the development of electric vehicles globally, but particularly in the United States, and where we where we are then. That was only a few years ago to where we could be in say 2030, 2035, and the percentage, the amount of growth of production of EVs versus you know, uh, internal combustion engines was just not gonna catch up to where it was gonna take a very, very long time. Probably, they, I think he said 2050 before there was gonna be a significant um, inroads in the percentage of EVs on the road versus uh, trans, you know, a normal combustion engine. So we, got, we have a long way to go. I think it's, and, and, and clearly you know, for all those years, we're not gonna, you know, we're, still, we're still gonna need oil and gasoline to, to, to power those vehicles. So it's not going away anytime soon. What's, uh, what's next? So you've been running your carbon neutrality working groups. You have these plans for the offsets that will sit alongside futures contracts. What, what else is sort of boiling away that kind of speaks to how these traders want to be seeing some kind of way of getting to carbon neutrality? Yeah, I think the first thing we, we have to get, I mean, we're going to launch sometime this summer. Uh, we're finalizing our uh, monetary authority. Our, our regulator is the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And um, we should be, I want to say just fingers crossed, we should be hearing from them imminently on our clearinghouse approval. We already have approval in principle for our regulated market operator exchange license and the clearinghouse is the next step. And again, that's a very timely, very costly 
um, process, but it's worthwhile to do. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. And I think once we launch our LNG contracts, we'll be looking at, as I said earlier, you know, probably base metals, uh, transition energy metals, uh, transition energies, products, again, that the marketplace is telling us that they need carbon, maybe a carbon, carbon uh, contracts, futures contracts. And so everything that we're going to be doing is futures contracts. And again, it's regulated. It's not an OTC market. And it's something that uh, is very important to us and our philosophy and also our business model. But, um, you know, given the connectivity again to the, to the trading firms, they're telling us that they, they want all these new products that the incumbent exchanges just haven't been focusing on. Coming back to those working groups and the clients and future clients that you're talking to, what, ultimately, what, what is it that you're hearing the most? Like, what kind of question uh, do you really do you come up against the most from, from them? I think it's more around standardization. Right. I said it earlier. Um, they want to, they want solutions. They want better solutions. They want better, um, a better kind of outlet for their ideas. Um, they, they, um, they don't want to be forced into a, um, you know, into a, a, a certain box around how they trade. Um, they want to be able to, you know, go on with their business really. And I think that's, you know, that's that's from um, the firms that are involved with us are big, you know, big banks. Uh, big uh, energy trading firms, big um, integrated oil companies, uh, brokers in the marketplace. I mean, we have a really kind of great cross section of the commodity trading infrastructure, particularly in energy and LNG that are participating, but all of them are pretty consistent in their messaging and that they want a better solution. They want somebody to be a leader in it. And I think they've come to us because they think we can be a leader in this space. And we're really, uh, we, you know, we've, we've gotten incredible uh, interaction and, and comments from the customers that are participating in this to uh, that they're, they're very excited about this next phase in, in energy trading and risk management, more importantly, uh, using a, a new exchange like Avax. Yeah, good luck. Exciting to see how, how this can evolve. Thanks a lot for talking to us. Thanks, Alex. It was a pleasure.